Welcome to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. In today's episode, I'm going to be discussing the top five things you need to do to prepare yourself before even thinking about submitting your profile into the express entry pool. CIC's instructions for submitting your profile into the express entry pool are pretty clear. If you go to the website, they will tell you step one, take your language test. Step two, get your foreign education assessed. And finally, confirm your skilled work experience abroad. So three steps, language test, get your education, then confirm your skilled foreign work experience. Well, I can tell you that if you follow these steps right off the bat without doing anything else, you'll be wasting your money. I really don't want you to do that. So let me help you save $500 before you even get started. First thing I want to indicate is that to take the language test, it's going to cost you between 265 to 300 Canadian dollars to do that. To get your education assessed, it's going to cost you between 200 and about 226 dollars to get your foreign credentials assessed. Now, I don't want you to waste that money if you're not yet at a position in which you can even submit your profile into the portal. And the reality is, if it's going to take you a couple of years to qualify, By that time, your language test could have expired. Um, Generally, English language uh, tests last for two years. And the educational credential assessments are good for about five. So we're not so concerned about them lapsing and then you're not being able to use them later. But the reality is, if you want that $500 in your pocket now, if you're not even going to come close to qualifying, then you need to follow my tips that I'm going to give you right now. My opening tip to save money is one, don't take the language test first. So despite CIC's instructions to rush off and spend that money, hold off for now. And here are the five most important steps that you need to do first. So number one, assess your admissibility. Let's face it, not everybody is going to be admissible to Canada. Sometimes we make stupid decisions when we're young and we end up with criminal records for you know, relatively small things, but even small things can result in inadmissibility to Canada. When it comes to assessing admissibility, the government looks at a number of different things. And I'm not going to give you a comprehensive list here because that's, we don't really have time for that. But you could be found uh, inadmissible for health grounds, if you've had an illness, uh, financial reasons, and ultimately the financial will result at the end of the process when they ask you to, to provide the, uh, the necessary settlement funds to be able to establish yourself in Canada. And if you can't prove you have sufficient funds to do so, then that can also scuttle the whole process. So it's better to assess now whether you think you'll be able to achieve a sufficient financial um, support if needed. The third possible reason for getting, uh, uh, receiving a finding of inadmissibility is misrepresentation on a prior application or in an interview with CIC. So if you've had that in the past, that can also 
prevents you from being able to to qualify. And then obviously there are the more serious things, like I indicated. You know, there's human or international rights violations. Uh, an individual can be convicted of a crime abroad, like I indicated. But there are ways to overcome the criminal inadmissibility, which I'll put some information in the show notes uh, that can help you if you found yourself to be in a situation where you've got a criminal conviction, but you're just not sure whether it will make you inadmissible to Canada. So I'll put in my show notes a link to the CIC website where um, that website will give you information on what does and does not constitute inadmissibility. And then from that site you or that webpage, you can then click on uh, the sentence that reads, if you have committed or been convicted of a crime, you have a few options. And so when you click on that, it will then take you to information related to criminal rehabilitation. And that criminal rehabilitation is available to individuals who have, who have had uh, prior criminal convictions, and it's a way of permanently removing that inadmissibility. And like I said, let's face it, nobody is perfect. We make mistakes. But if you've had a prior conviction for anything from theft or assault, uh, a, a driving under the influence or possession of, of or, or even more serious things, trafficking in, in drugs or dry, dangerous driving or manslaughter or any of these different uh, possible crimes, um, if you've been convicted of those, you could be barred from even getting through the program. And the problem is you will waste all of your time, all of your money applying to uh, to be drawn and given an ITA through the pool ultimately to provide your permanent resident documentation and submit that application, and then at the very end be told that you are criminally inadmissible to Canada. So I don't want you to do that. So make sure, step one, determine if you are admissible. Now, let's move on to step two. Obviously, to qualify through many of the economic permanent resident streams, you need to have foreign skilled work experience. And this is skilled work experience. And in the case of the permanent resident programs in Canada, you actually need to have at least one year of skilled work experience. Now, that skilled work experience can be inside or outside Canada. So it doesn't matter where you've acquired it. But ultimately, that determination as to whether the work you did is actually considered to be skilled is critical. If you are not careful in how you assess it, when you submit your application, CIC could determine that it's actually not skilled and something less than skilled and leave you right back at the beginning. So understand, I'm telling you these tips so that you don't waste any money yet until you've assessed these two most important factors. In order to determine whether your job actually equates to skilled work within Canada, you have to go to the National Occupational Classification System. Now, beware, there are two different ones. There's one for 2006 which is used exclusively by the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. I won't get into all the details why they're still using that, other than saying they probably don't have enough resources to switch over to the 2011 version because all of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program resources are all tied and linked to the NOC 2006. So you don't use the 2006, you actually use the NOC that's been developed, um, that's the NOC 2011 that is what you use to determine whether your position is skilled for the purposes of applying for express entry. Now, in order to help you so that you don't get confused, I'm actually going to put a link to the NOC 2011 within the show notes. So you can click on that and know that the positions that you're researching are actually coming from the right uh, occupational classification system. Now, a few extra little tips to help you. 
the title is important to kind of get you pointed in the right direction. So whatever your title was, working abroad, you can search for that title within the NOC. But do not rely on that title being the actual uh, position that you're working in. You must take a very close look at the job duties that you actually performed and then equate those job duties, whether you completed the position, like I said, in Canada or abroad, equate your job duties and the employment requirements for that position with what is specifically set out in the NOC. And I could take a whole podcast and go through all of the the steps that we go through to determine this uh, equating of, of your foreign skilled experience with the, the particular position profile that's allocated on the NOC, you know, to determine if it really does match. Uh, that's a podcast in and of itself, so I can't get into that today, but maybe I'll save it for a later date. But just know that you need to really look at matching up those job duties and making sure that the, the requirements that the NOC lists for that position are exactly what you needed to fulfill the position you were doing that, that you want to include for the purposes of express entry. Okay, I think you've got that. All right, step three. Now, finally, you're going to fork over some cash and take the language tests. You can't even get into the profile, uh, submitting your profile into express entry unless you have taken an official English test. The two sources that uh, are accepted by immigration are the IELTS, the International English Language Testing System, uh, and this one is good for individuals who've learned their English, you know, through the UK, Australia, New Zealand, because it, that's, the, you know, that's how the, the language is, the accents, the terminology that they use. So sometimes I've had clients indicate that they, they if they receive their English training, uh, you know, abroad, uh, outside of Canada, that the IELTS test actually was pretty good. So they use that one. Then there's the CELPEP, which is the Canadian English Language Proficiency Index Program. This was developed in Canada, so it's our in-house little program that, uh, that is used to assess English, and you're dealing with English speakers here. So one of the things, uh, if you've learned English in Canada, um, this test sometimes I've had clients express that it's a little bit easier for them. So you choose, either one's acceptable. Um, you write that test, and that's not it you must take a look at what your score is. So if you're an individual who's been working in Canada, there's two different levels of English that you need to meet depending upon the classification that your position um, falls under. So if you have been working for one year in Canada, at least one year, in a NOC B, so that's the National Occupational Classification Skill Level B, trade level, you know, specialized technologist, technician, that kind of level, then you'll need a CLB of five, and that's for every category, not average, every category, if you're going to be qualifying under the Canada Experience class. If you have that one-year work experience, but in Canada, but it's under a NOC A, professionals, or O, senior managerial or management positions, then you must have a CLB of seven. So understand that distinction. If you're applying from outside of Canada, and you, are, you have non-Canadian work experience, then it's pretty easy. The only program you can qualify under is, uh, is, a, is the Federal Skilled Worker Program, um, except for the Federal Skilled Trade Program, which is, which is also out there, but not typically. Uh, there's, there's much fewer people that would qualify under the Federal Skilled Trade. It's out there, but we're just focusing on the Skilled Worker Program right now. So in order to qualify for that one, you must have a minimum uh, CLB, of level seven 
under the in order to qualify into the federal skilled worker program. So if you don't have at least a minimum level seven for your English, then you know what? Don't even bother getting your educational credentials assessed, which happens to be the fourth step along the way. So just to recap, step number one, determine if you are actually admissible to Canada, whether you don't have anything that's going to trip you up. Number two, determine if your skilled work experience abroad um, it actually equates and would be considered skilled for the purposes of express entry. Uh, the third step is to take your language test and pay that money. And if you meet the minimum requirements once you've written that English test, uh, then step four is to get your educational credential assessment done. Um, immigration has set forth a number of designated organizations uh, that can do this for you. But it's important for you to understand that if you have Canadian post-secondary education, you don't even need to do this. But if you're relying upon foreign educational credentials, then you must submit an ECA in order to get credit for, the, for those educational credentials. If you try to just include it without the ECA, uh, and you just try to include your, your, your background um, uh, educational experience, you will get no points for it. So if you're wondering why you're not getting any points for under the comprehensive ranking system for education, it'll be because you don't have that ECA. So um, you always have to support it. Always, always with an ECA. Uh, I have a link to in the show notes once again to the locations where you can obtain your ECAs. Um, ultimately, there are uh, there's probably about five different organizations that you can use for just general assessments. And then for doctors and for pharmacists, they have their own, uh, their own organization and or their own entity. So there's the comparative education services that U of T continuing studies, uh, the, the University of Toronto um, Department of Continuing Studies offers. There's the International Credential Assessment Service of Canada, the World Education Service or the WES, which is very common. A lot of people use that the International Qualifications Assessment Service, and the International Credential Evaluation Service. And um, obviously, you've got a lot of choices. And so here is where I'm going to ask you to participate in this. And I want your participation. I want people involved. I want us to share our knowledge. Because after all, if we're going through this process and we're trying to guess what CIC wants, which really is what we're facing these days, the best way we can figure out what the heck we're supposed to do is to share our experiences. So here's the question, and I'll post this in my show notes. This is what I want all of you who are listening to this to respond to. If you've already gone through the process of obtaining one of these educational credential assessments, I want you, in fact, I'd love to hear from you how it went. I would like you to post your response in the comment section of this uh, particular uh, podcast uh, on the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website, and I'll compile the results, and I'll release them to everyone as to which testing organization is the fastest, which one grades the best in terms of recognizing your credential, and the more information I get back can get back from all of you, the better I can get the data that we'll then be able to use, you know, we'll be able to use going forward. So lots of reports, lots of comments, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, do all you can to uh, to encourage your friends and other people that you know who've already gone through the process to share their thoughts, and it will be wonderful. I'm really excited about it. Now, as I indicated previously, these ECAs are valid for about five years, 
And ultimately, when you file your permanent resident application, you'll need to provide your reference number for the ECA report. And this is super important because if you, do, if you don't provide that, then uh, when the time comes to uh, submit your PR, uh, almost invariably they'll ask for a copy of the whole electronic document. So sometimes they ask for it, sometimes they don't, but you'll need to have it and keep it handy. So I always ask that you go ahead and you do this so you know right off the bat how many points you're, you're going to get exactly, what that uh, your foreign credential will equate to in Canada, so then you can know where you stand with, this, uh, with the comprehensive ranking system and, and your ultimate score. Um, if the report that you have shows that your foreign credential is equal to the to a Canadian one, then you'll get those points, those CRS points. If the report shows that there is no equation to a Canadian credential, then it's pretty simple. It's very unlikely you're not going to be able to qualify for feder- the Federal Skilled Worker Program at least. Um, you won't get any of those CRS points. However, if you are currently working in Canada then it's possible that you could qualify under the CEC or, as I haven't discussed a lot, the Federal Skilled Trade Program. If anybody wants more information about the Federal Skilled Trade Program, they can email me directly, and then if I get enough interest, then I'll really delve into it. But it's kind of the the redheaded stepchild that program is. Not many people use it. And uh, ironically, because of that, if you do qualify into the Federal Skilled Trade, in terms of the ranking of importance, Citizenship and Immigration Canada in Ottawa has told us, um, us immigration lawyers, that they intend uh, to rank, uh, in terms of priority for them, the Federal Skilled Trade Program as number one because it's the hardest to fill and they've got so many numbers of people that they want to pump through that program. And so number one is Federal Skilled Trade. Number two is the Federal Skilled Worker Program. And last but not least is the Canada Experience Class. So sometimes when they do these draws and pull people out of the pool, they will pull from a specific program. And sometimes, uh, because obviously, uh, those who are often applying under the Federal Skilled Trade Program do not rank as high with the comprehensive ranking system. So if they decide to only draw Federal federal Skilled Trade, it's possible that although you maybe don't rank high enough to get drawn under the traditional route, that they may exclude only to Federal Skilled Trade and you could see yourself getting drawn. So if there's enough interest, I'll cover that later. But at this stage, I'm going to move on forward. So while you've gone through this process, you've got your ECA done. You've got your language test done. You know that you have the one-year skilled work experience and you're not inadmissible to Canada. The last step that I'll share with you is that you need to assess whether you meet the minimum requirements of each of these three economic programs to start with. So you can have all this other stuff, but if you do not meet the minimum requirements of one of these programs, then you can't even get through the gate to start with. And uh, I indicate one-year skilled work experience abroad as a baseline because generally speaking, if you don't have that, you're not going to qualify for anything. So let's go through these programs just so that you're aware from the government's priority program, Federal Skilled Trade, not that they're not all a priority, but if there's ever a a tie between these, the tie will go to the Federal Skilled Trade Program, then Federal Skilled Worker, then CEC, because the government always wants to meet their quotas for these programs. And clearly, for individuals working and living in Canada, the CEC is probably the easiest one to qualify under, regardless, absolutely regardless of, of whether you're a skilled trade or you're Uh, The CEO of a company, CEC, is the easiest. But let's go through the Federal Skilled Trade Program. So start with 
This is something I didn't indicate when I was talking about language tests, but you have to have a minimum CLB of level five in speaking and listening and a CLB of four in reading and writing. And that's the only distinction. The other programs, CEC, Federal Skilled Worker, you can't average the scores. So you have to have that minimum level five for CEC or seven. And for the Federal Skilled Worker, you have to have that minimum CLB seven. But with the Federal Skilled Trades, they recognize that you know reading and writing is not super critical for, for trade level um, excellence. Uh, but speaking and listening is, and so they have it set at CLB-5 for speaking and listening and CLB-4 for reading and writing. You also need two years of work experience in a trade within the past five years. And you also need to make sure that that work experience meets one of the positions, the trade level positions that are set out under the NOC. And uh, when we start to assess these a little bit more closely, you'll see that there are major groups um, of occupations under the trade level positions that are set out on the CIC website. And once again, I'll provide another link to that within the show notes. Um, all right. And then you have to have an offer of full-time employment for one year, or you need a certificate of qualification for that trade issued by one of the Canadian provinces or territories. So that's the federal skilled trade. Uh, now let's move on to the federal skilled worker, the basic requirements one year of paid skilled work experience. So that's a minimum of uh, full-time um, skilled work experience over one year or the equivalent uh, in part-time. So 30 hours per week is considered to be skilled. And so if you do the math, that's about 1,560 hours in a year. So if you're working full-time, that's the minimum expectation to qualify, at least to meet the minimum standard. Also, uh, you need to make sure that your position is classified in NOC 0A or B, like we indicated before, within the 2011 NOC. The one year must be in, uh, must have been obtained within the last 10 years. And CLB Level 7, you also need at least a high school education. And finally, last but not least, and this is where I see many people trip up, so pay close attention to this. If you're looking to qualify from abroad, you do not have a job offer supported by a labor market impact assessment, and you are applying likely through the Federal Skilled Worker Program, even though you have lots of points, maybe with the CRS uh, point system, you need to make sure that you have at least 67 points within the six selection factors of the Federal Skilled Worker Program. So this is an assessment that happens before you even go through the comprehensive ranking system assessment. And the six selection factors they look at are, obviously there's duplication here, one English or French, two English, uh, sorry, one English or French, two education, three work experience, four age, five job offer, and six adaptability. And so these six factors are based on a different ranking scheme than the CRS. So pay attention to that. Go to the CIC website. Take a look at whether you meet that 67-point threshold to qualify for the Federal Skilled Worker Program. And then finally, make sure that you have, for Federal Skilled Worker, that you have proof of funds so that you've got sufficient funds to meet the, um, the, the, um, the, minimum, um, the minimum income levels required to settle in Canada. Now, the final one, and this is the easiest one if you are currently working in Canada, is to show that you have at least 12 months of full-time or equivalent and part-time 
skilled work experience in Canada within the past three years. So a couple points to note. If you're on an open work permit and you're working, uh, performing, um, you know, you're self-employed, uh, or if you gained your work experience under a co-op program while you were studying in school, both of these do not count. So self-employment and work under a co-op, you can't count it towards your 12 months, towards the, the three years uh, or 12 months of skilled work experience within the three years before applying. And who does that affect? Well, it affects our post-grad work permit students. The ones who go to school who are often, uh, at least on the co-op side, have, have had experience working in, in jobs. So you have to wait until you've worked for a full year outside of school before you can qualify. All right. Um, it goes without saying that while in Canada, that work needs to be legal. And to a large extent, it has the potential of disqualifying refugees. So if you're here as a refugee claimant and you get that open work permit to allow you to work while your claim is being assessed, uh, you can't use that work experience towards qualifying under the CEC. So disappointing at this stage, um, but uh, I will keep you posted if I learn anything else about uh, transitioning from refugee status to permanent residence uh, through express entry. Um, and then finally with CEC, the language requirements are pretty simple. Uh, if you have a, a work experience in NOC 0 or A, then you need a CLB, which is the Canadian Language Benchmark Level 7, and that's across all of those different, um, uh, different factors. If you have work experience under NOC B, then the skill, the, the comprehensive, or sorry, the, the uh, Canadian language benchmark has to be at level five. So just to recap, for the CEC program, the Canada Experience class, if you have work experience in NOC 0 or A, then the Canadian language benchmark must be seven. If it's NOC B, then the CLB has to be five. All right. Great. So those are my tips. So obviously there are a lot of different ways of, of preparing for express entry and there's probably people that have different strategies and different ways of collecting their documents. But from my experience, if you follow these five short little steps, one, you can save money without, you know, without um, throwing it away because you do not qualify under express entry. You can save some money first to make sure that you really do qualify before you start spending it. So I hope these five tips have been helpful for you. Um, there may be uh, other suggestions that people have. I welcome your comments, and I'll say this time and time again. I welcome people to, to provide input, to provide their experience, to share their stories. I love to hear those things. And hey, if you've got anything that's really, um, really applicable to what we're talking about here, what we're discussing um, I'll bring it on and we'll talk about it in the next podcast. And, you know, the with the world of CIC these days, um, it's really challenging because there's no real clear policy on how you are to, uh, how you're to, to cover off a lot of these different aspects of express entry that are just not written anywhere. So, like I said, the only way you can learn is by sharing your story. So please, please share your experiences, comment on this podcast and uh, ultimately share it with your with your friends and other coworkers you think might be uh, interested in hearing this. All right, now we are going to shift to um, some questions from our listeners. The question that I have selected for this podcast comes from um, uh, Desiree. 
I'm going to call her Desiree, although her name is spelt Desire, D-E-S-I-R-E. And once again, this is another plug for you to go to the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website, or you can alternatively leave a message on my firm website, uh, ht-llp.com. And uh, there is a widget on the side of the webpage that indicates ask an immigration question. Go there. Click on that thing. Leave a voice message for me. If someone is having problems doing that, uh, let me know. But that is a wonderful way when I can have you um, ask your question and I can put you right onto this podcast. And, and I'm sure everybody would love to hear people's real questions rather than me trying to decipher uh, their written emails. But anyways, this email's from from uh, Desiree and uh, that she sent Friday, September the 11th. And it's entitled um, Spouses. So she indicates, Hello, sir. I wish to ask if I can remove my spouse's name from my application to express entry to have more points. The CIC already have his information on their website when I was applying for my work documents. I provided his name on my application when I was applying for my work permit. Can I give any excuse why I don't want him to be in? I I intend to enter and then invite him when I have the permanent residence. Thanks. Okay, Desiree, this is a great question, and I want to identify just one thing to clarify for those who are listening. So she indicated that she wanted to remove her spouse's name from her express entry application so that she could have more points. Well, when you are assessing... uh, individuals' points through the comprehensive ranking system. Single individuals get full points for some of the human capital factors, and then those who have family members, the, 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 they get uh, individuals get slightly less points um, in their personal capacity, and then their uh, spouses are assessed to then make up the balance of those, those remaining points that a single individual would get completely right at the beginning. So if you go to the CRS uh, Comprehensive Ranking System website, which I'll post a a link there as well, uh, you'll see how those points are broken down. So essentially for Desiree, she probably is seeing that her her husband is uh, maybe going to have a little bit more trouble getting those points and getting uh, everything assessed. And it's just easier if she goes through on her own first and and so she hopes that she can remove her husband now, even though he's fully on the radar of CIC. He's been included with her application for a work permit, so they know he's there. And she says, can I give an excuse why I don't want him to be in? Well, Desiree, here's the issue. If you do not want to include him within your Express MJ application and be assessed, then there's a way of doing that. So essentially what you do is... When you're in the express entry uh, profile section, at the very top, in, a, you know, in gray boxes, right in the middle, you'll see a, a box that says modify family information. Click that box. Then when you get to that site, go down to the bottom and click update information. And then it will take you to a question that reads, what's your marital status? Make sure that you keep married selected. You cannot and must not indicate that you're not married when you really are. So make sure that that section is clicked and that it's selected as married. Then you click next. Then it will take you to another question that says, is your spouse, common law partner, included in this application? And it's at that stage that you select no. This will then take you back to your express entry profile and you should see 
that your spouse should be removed from your profile and they will not count towards your uh, comprehensive ranking system points. So, but I want to reiterate, and it's very important that everyone listens to this. This is, uh, if there was anything that I could tell you about including a spouse or excluding them, this is the single most important thing that you must consider. You cannot indicate that you do not have a spouse on a permanent resident application, go through the process, become landed as a permanent resident in Canada, and then go back and try to sponsor them. You must not, and you cannot do that because you will be forever barred from sponsoring them as a result of an operation of law. And the legal provision is section 117, subsection 9, subsection D of the Immigration and Refugee Protection Regulations. I will post a link to this in my show notes. But you must never, ever fail to disclose and have that spouse examined. Now, ultimately, those things will take place at the end of your application, and it will delay your permanent residence a little bit. But as of 2002, when they instituted the new Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, and they changed the the legislation for immigration in Canada, they instituted this section to catch people who are actually doing that. So Desiree, I think your worry is more about getting more points right off the bat and not having to worry about things. So you disclose your husband, you indicate that he's not coming, and then you go through the process and you can land and then sponsor him later. But you must make sure at all stages that CIC is fully aware that you do have a spouse, it's just that they are non-accompanying now. That will leave you the option of sponsoring them one day in the future when maybe timing is better for you. But under no circumstance, if you have a spouse, do you indicate that you, um, that you do not uh, because it will come back to bite you. So this is a pretty, uh, a little bit more fulsome answer than I usually give. So I'm only going to answer that one question in this podcast and then we'll save uh, questions for, for next week for the other podcast um, that, will be, that, will, that I'll be uh, ha- uh, releasing on Monday. Um, I'd like to take this time to just provide a few other little announcements. Um, some of the upcoming upcoming speaking engagements I'll be entertaining. If you're in Lethbridge, September the 23rd, uh, Lethbridge, Alberta, I will be speaking at the Human Resource Institute of Alberta's uh, Canadian Immigration Law event. So you can go to uh, the show notes and there's a link to register for that if you're interested. Uh, members and non-members are both eligible to attend. I'll be covering a number of different areas, including express entry, foreign work permits, and uh, just a great overview of, of the current state of the land when it comes to foreign workers and, uh, and the immigration programs in Canada. Also, in October, on the, from the 27th to the 28th, I will be running a workshop at the Canadian Institute's Immigration and International Workers Forum. That's located in Calgary. And I'll also be speaking directly to HR managers and other um, companies, employers in, sp- uh, in particular, uh, regarding the new and ever-increasing compliance factors and compliance measures that immigration is instituting within the foreign worker program. And I'll be trying to demystify some of those and, and uh, provide additional information so that companies can make sure that they are compliant. All right, next podcast... I have a question that I really, really want people to answer. And, uh, and our next episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, um, I'll be discussing something that I think everybody is going to be very interested in, either because they've had experience with this 
or are going to try to avoid it at all costs. And I'm going to be discussing the most common reasons people have their express entry applications refused. So if you recently had your express entry application refused, I'd love to hear what happened to you. Uh, leave a comment on the, uh, on, on the website. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all our social media connections. Leave a message wherever it's most convenient. Ideally, uh, the comment section of this podcast would be ideal. But tell me why your express entry application was refused. I'll select the most egregious refusals and share my suggestions on how to fix the things that caused you grief. Now, understand that express entry has been a real, real headache for many people. And sometimes we get bounce backs of applications when we have done nothing wrong. It's just a computer glitch. So I'd love to hear your your reasons for refusal. Uh, what happened? Share it with us. Let's all learn together. And then I'll select some of the more egregious refusals, some of the worst ones, and see if uh, we can offer any advice or strategies on how to improve that. I also want to reiterate that if you would like to ask me an immigration question, you can always leave that question on the website. There's a number of different means which I've talked about. You can go to the uh, the little widget on the side panel of the uh, immigration, uh, the Canadian Immigration Podcast website and uh, click that and leave an audio message for me, a question. You can also leave uh, one through our, uh, through the, the form field on the website or you could even go to the ht-llp.com website, which is my law firm website, and leave a question there. Um, I want to reiterate, as I'm getting a few people who are asking me to assess their chances of obtaining express entry um, and their, of qualifying through the, through, um, uh, to being admitted into the, the portal and ultimately receiving an ITA. So people are wanting me to do comprehensive assessments of their unique background and, and circumstances and um, unfortunately, that goes beyond the general kind of applicability of what we're trying to do here with this free resource. If you would like me to go through and specifically assess your likelihood of qualifying, that is more on the side of legal advice. And so if you need that specific legal advice, go to the htlp.com website, my law firm website, Holty Tillman LLP, and you can uh, go there and, uh, and set up a paid consultation, and we can go through everything that you need. We can talk about the, the strategies that you're looking at employing. We can develop long-term plans. We can do all those things that you need. But this site and this resource is purely for general information purposes, uh, just to help people um, uh, just stay informed of, of what's happening with immigration and, and, uh, and what they need to do to give themselves the best chance of success when they do it themselves. So that's the purpose of this site. So if you can if you can recognize that, please don't get offended if I ask you to set up a paid consultation if I feel that your question is just too specific. But this is really designed uh, to, to get questions from people that are generally applicable so that I can have the most benefit and help the most people who are also experiencing those same types of problems. So that's why we're doing this. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have a general question, please, please leave it. Uh, in the comment section of this podcast or at any of the other various social media avenues that I've indicated. Also, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the Canadian Immigration Podcast on the website. Uh, and uh, if you leave me your email address, then I will forward you notifications whenever we have any changes that are occurring to the site. You'll get instant notification. You won't have to keep coming back to the site to look for them. 
and also go to iTunes and subscribe to the Canadian Immigration Podcast on iTunes. I would also love it if you would please just uh, leave a review. Good, bad, I don't care. Um, Leave those reviews. Uh, It helps me to rank higher within iTunes and then make this more visible to other people who are experiencing the same challenges you are. So I'd love any comments or suggestions you also may have to make this podcast better. And uh, so if you can share the the love, that would be awesome. Now, finally, um, I just want to remind everyone, I announced it in the last podcast that I did, but it is my intention to create a series of Canadian immigration um, do-it-yourself guides. And these are going to be uh, screencasted um, tutorials on on all aspects of uh, Canadian immigration. The first one that I'm going to release, November the 1st, so stay tuned, is Express Entry. No surprises there, right? The one that is causing most people the most amount of grief. And so if you or anyone else you know is interested in learning more about this and, uh, and would like to be notified the moment this is ready, please go to the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website, register your email, and then I will notify you immediately when this comes, uh, when, it, when this starts to come, uh, come for release. So we're going to have a, a fantastic launch that will be prepared here shortly in the next uh, few weeks here that will lead up to the actual release of the, the, this express entry do-it-yourself guide. I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. I've poured in all of the knowledge that I have all of my tips, all of my strategies, that of my staff members as we've worked on these applications over the past year. And um, we are really excited, super excited, because this is going to be a way for us to reach far more people than we've ever been able to do before. And uh, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to um, uh, Season 1, Episode 1 that I just recorded, which explains my rationale for doing this. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love sharing this information, knowing that it has the potential to bless the lives of people out there. And ultimately, it's all about service. It's all about trying to help you navigate the complexities of immigration so that you don't fall into the same traps that many clients I've seen fall into uh, because they came to me too late. So this is a way that we can give back. I'm, I'm Like I said, I, I keep saying I'm excited about it, but it's fantastic. And I'm, I just can't wait to, to, to read your comments and to hear uh, your experiences and to hopefully provide you with some value and something that you can use and be happy with. Um, so this is, uh, this is the end of this podcast. It's Mark Holthy here signing off. And until next time, when I offer more practical tips and information on Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice to help you along your way.
Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com.